Part 2. The Legitimate Davidic Lineage The notion of a royal bloodline from Adam to Christ is well accepted by all Christians. However, the idea of a doubled Judaic sceptered lineage for Christ is not well understood. The significance of the Virgin Mary's bloodline may seem to pale beside that of Heavenly Father's spirit line, but it is not insignificant. Her twofold Judaic lineage is a topic rife with spiritual implications and with the power to excite our imagination. Chapter 3. Out of Britain Theory The hidden royal lineage of Judah's twin son Zerah was first harbored in Galilee and then supposedly planted in Ireland, lost to the worthies in Jerusalem until the meridian of time. At this point, a scion of the house of David, Perez, and the house of the scarlet thread, Zerah, appeared to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. The following chapters attempt to illustrate the descent of the house of Judah through his two sons and then to Jesus Christ himself. Thus, we might see how Jesus is pure Judah from both sons of that patriarch, that it was protected in a far-flung garden of the Emerald Isle may seem unusual. See Jacob 5. Yet it would have been much more difficult to preserve such a lineage in the environment of apostate Israel. We see how the shifting of Israel through the world-established diaspora colonies among the Isles of the Sea, from which God would eventually graft his chosen grail seed. The Scarlet Thread of Terah And it came to pass in the time of Tamar's travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee, therefore his name was called Perez. And afterward came out his brother, that with the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Genesis 38, verses 27 through 30. There is a most curious account of the birth of the twin sons of Judah and Tamar. The very name of one twin, Perez, or Pharez, means a breach, while the name of the other, Zerah, denotes the seed, or to shine or come forth. Medically, during the birth of twins, the first baby comes out head first, while the second is usually born breech, bottom or feet first. Any observer of this remarkable ex episode might have proclaimed Perez the second-born because he was born breech. Yet he was pronounced the first-born precisely because he was born first. Zerah, who was the first to begin the birth process, received the scarlet thread on his right wrist, only to withdraw back into the womb and was born second. Miraculously, he was born head-first, the way a firstborn is normally born, with a scarlet thread signaling primogeniture around his wrist. This confusing circumstance undoubtedly created dissension within the tribe of Judah, which would take more than a millennium to repair. The scarlet line, or lineage, is of great importance to our narrative. In Hebrew, the word for line is tikva. It is always translated in our Bible as hope or expectation. Thus we could say that the scarlet line is a lineage of hope that points us toward Jesus Christ. The Israelites brushed blood on the doorways with hyssop branches, with the expectation that the angel of death would pass over the household. Likewise, the scarlet line was marked around the altar of the temple to delineate between the blood sacrifices above the line to be eaten and those below the line to be consumed by fire. 
The parallel tell of Rahab of Jericho, who hid the two spies of Israel, tells how she and her family were saved when the scarlet line was placed in her window prior to that city being utterly destroyed. The scarlet line, or mark, is thus a recurring motif in Old Testament scripture. In addition, writes Higginbotham, the scarlet line is a picture of a bloodline because Rahab is an ancestor of Christ himself. Karen Boren notes, whether one speaks of the bloodline of Christ, Rahab, the scarlet thread used to determine birthright, or the scarlet line on the temple altar, the hope of Israel is in the blood of Jesus Christ. These statements are very provocative for our understanding of the Holy Grail or lineage of Christ. The legendary story of the scarlet thread of Terah, uh, Terah Hills, as a type of New Jerusalem, begins centuries after the cleaving of the house of Judah into two parts. Like the story of the house of Joseph, it was it too was split between two sons, although with Joseph's sons Manasseh and Ephraim, we see a cooperative spirit. However, the struggle for dominance within the tribe of Judah is reflected in the painful story of twin sons, Perez and Zerah. How like the story of Jacob and Esau, who tumbled in the womb and wrestled during Rebekah's travail. As there was a breach between Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Ephraim and Judah, so there was a breach between Perez and Zerah. Since Judah held the scepter, the law of primogeniture prevailed so that his eldest son would ascend to the throne. The unhealthy fissure between Perez and Zerah was symptomatic of the much greater breach created between a wounded Judah and Ephraim. Throughout the history of the world, many such breaches and healings would transpire. In the latter days, we have seen a breach between the children of Hiram Smith, being Joseph F. Smith, and the children of his brother Joseph Smith, Jr., Joseph Smith III. The Perez, or breach line, became, with some question, the kingly line. Of the Zara line, the firstborn son, Zimri, carried on the feud. This eventually led to some of the family line being forced out of the Holy Land. However, the Zara line remained very important because it possessed the scarlet thread, the symbol of primogeniture. The Useful Tetfiti Myth We now enter murky waters as our narrative becomes embroiled with, into an inaccurate form of British Israel <laughs> Israeliticism. <laughs> Just a second, let me... <laughs> I never said this recording was going to be perfect, right? Into an inaccurate form of British Israelitism. In an effort to answer how Judah and Ephraim abounded in Britain, enthusiastic men supplanted scholarship with possible false solutions. The old sayings, saying, skepticism is the chastity of the intellect, holds true when submerging oneself into the legend of Terra Plantation and Tefiti. We might have avoided it altogether except that the late 19th and early 20th century LDS church leaders uncritically embraced its myth. Even today, the story of Jeremiah with the daughter of King Zedekiah is often repeated in Mormon literature. I am not saying the story is false in all of its particulars, just that the proof used to ascertain its truthfulness is wanting. As far as we can tell, the Irish and Scottish chronicles do not contain any tale of Tefiti. It appears that her legend began as a myth crafted in 1861 by F.R.A. Glover. In an interesting twist, LDS scholar John Nelson believes that the idea of her was intentionally lifted from the Book of Mormon narrative in order to help clergymen in the British Isles to combat the spreading LDS message with a new patriotic story designed to rival that of Lehi and Mulek. 
I believe this is a far stretch, maybe as large as the Tefiti myth itself. According to legend, part of the Zara lineage began to colonize Ireland as early as 900 BC. The medieval Celtic text Lebor Gabala Eren, Book of Invasions of Ireland, states that the Irish were descended through Mill of Spain from the Phoenicians. Then, according to the very creative reading of the Irish Chronicles, this migration pattern would be retraced about 300 years later with a Judaic king's daughter. Supposedly, in about 586 BC, just before Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, the famous prophet Jeremiah and his scribe, Simon Baruch, escaped to Egypt with the daughters of King Zedekiah, supposed the famous princess Tefiti, or Tamar, or Terah, and Mirabel. Mulek, King Zedekiah's son, had already escaped to the New World in the Western Hemisphere, while the rest of the extended family were murdered. Jeremiah and his charges supposedly fled to Egypt and dwelt in the uh, Milesian garrison at... <laughs> I really should have read this before and got all of these pronunciations. Sorry. Uh, Tafanches, or Daphne, in Egypt, called the Palace of the Jews' Daughter, according to later Arabic tradition. British Israelites called her Tamar, the daughter of the Pharaoh, in memory of her stay in Egypt. The fact that she fled Palestine is preserved in her name Terah, meaning one banished or flight. Or as it was said, and I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not. Brit- <laughs> Here's that word again. British Israelitism dovetailed with the LDS narrative and worked its way into our literature, but was never a Mormon doctrine per se because it was the only major explanation being poised at the time it was taken hold of and used to explain why England was a blessed plot, as Shakespeare noted. Apostle Anthony W. Ivins related, relates their departure to Egypt lifted from British Israel, Israel, Israelitish literature. <laughs> I might have to take a break and get that word down. Zedekiah, at the time, had two daughters. These two beautiful girls were protected against the Babylonians by being placed in the caves of Jeremiah the prophet. He became the guardian, the custodian of their welfare. Jeremiah took them down into Egypt, and it is said to the same place where Joseph and Mary went with Christ, our Lord, at the time of the execution of the decree by Herod. They abode there at a place called Tephanes. Legend states that upon hearing the threatening news of Nebuchadnezzar's planned invasion of Egypt, the group fled Egypt and took to the sea. Ivans also described the band's subsequent journeys after Egypt. Just at that time, a ship landed upon the coast of Spain, from which an old man, Jeremiah, and his secretary, Baruch, and two young women disembarked. They remained for a short period in that country where one of the girls married into the reigning house of Spain, but the old man, who is referred to in Ireland as Olam Fodha, the old prophet or wise one, in the traditions and the songs which they still sing of him, passed across the channel and landed on the coast of Ireland, taking with him the elder of the two girls, whose name is Tamar, uh, T or Tefi, which translated from Hebrew into English means the beautiful palm or the beautiful wanderer. From there, legend has it, with Gathelus at the helm, the ship's precious and sacred cargo sailed on to Ireland. With Jeremiah as guide, Baruch ascribed Tamar and the now-married Mirabel 
sailed onward toward the hill Terra in the Boyne Valley of Ireland about 584 to 582 BC. Undoubtedly, they had taken whatever relics they could before Jerusalem was destroyed. The Moor Ulaman in Terra was considered by British Israelites to be a type of the school of the prophets founded by Jeremiah. Apparently, Jeremiah attempted to establish a new Jerusalem at Terra, restore the monarchy of Judah, and found a new kingdom. His choice of Terra was no accident, for his plan centered on cursing the breach, or <laughs> curing the breach between the two branches of the house of Judah. 19th century sources say that he assertively bridged this breach by arranging a marriage for Tefiti, a princess of the line of David, with the scion of the Scarlet Thread. At the time, Haramon, uh, Iodaich, a prince of Judah, Zerah, was awaiting his coronation. When he met the princess Tamar, or Tefiti, the slight and tender twig, they fell in love and soon married, thus uniting the prophetic lineages of Perez and Zerah. And according to this line of reasoning, became the direct ancestors of the Virgin Mary. Mariad Caruz explains, according to Irish legends, T came from Thebes. She married Aramon, a son of Mill of Spain. She was of the house, the royal house of David, and her marriage to Ioched, the second Miliason, Israelite colony in Spain, monarch of Ireland, had dynastic import. Supposedly, King Harriman was of the Scarlet Thread, or the Zara branch of the House of Judah. E.L. Whitehead's and Von E. Hansen's shared belief that King Harriman was from Northern Kingdom of Israel and an Ephraimite is prog problematic. O'Hart's Irish pedigrees incorrectly indicates that he sprang from a Phoenician, or Eastern trader, clearly noting that he was descended from Japheth, the son of Noah. Shem, the son of Noah, is the line from which all the Israelites sprang, so any Japhethite would be outside the loop for marriage consideration. Although most of the later Phoenicians were considered to be of the tribe of Asher, an Israelitish tribe, they were still of the wrong tribe for the promised blessing. Haramon, in order to be eligible, needed to be of the tribe of Judah through Zerah. As oral legends were not altogether in an orderly fashion or laid out in a perfect sequence, we can only surmise the full significance of the important marriage. In Jewish tradition, according to Rabbi Clayman, tribal bloodline came through the far father, but the national inheritance flows, follows the mother's side. However, this is a faulty indicator of tribal origin since the mother's mtDNA is passed to both male and female lines, while the Y chromosome is only passed through the male. Thus, this unified dynasty would be of the house of David, Perez, which, <laughs> which would be dominant over Zara because the mother or wife of the lineage of David and the posterity was ultimately focused on the Virgin Mary's line. The inheritance rights of the line are not passed through the mother except for a little-known exception to the rule. Numbers 27 verse 8 says, If there is no male heir, a female may pass on the inheritance if she marries within her own tribe. In this case, both husband and wife were of the tribe of Judah, though from different branches, but Jesus would receive the promise through his mother, who would be a direct descendant of both. Their union mended the breach and tied together the scarlet thread. There in the diaspora is our mythic story that they met and married. The new healed dynasty supposedly began in about 580 BC 
when King Eochaid and Queen Tefiti united Judah's two major bloodlines, Zerah and Perez, thus forming a new and better line of Judah than just the House of David alone. Professor C.A. Tell Totten has given a genealogy of the Zerah royal house, and according to his research, there is there were 24 generations between Judah and this sacred marriage, or Heros Gamos, in Terah. British Israelites believe that the marriage bridged the rift between the two royal houses of Israel after 400 years of separation. Although this may be true, it cannot be proven by any genealogy at hand. Allegedly, they had but one son, Ariel Fide, and even legend makes no reference to an all-important daughter. Shortly after the birth of their son, Tamar died and was buried in the great Mergech, a mound or a tomb at Terah. If there is any truth to this scenario, Joachim, the father of the Virgin Mary, would be a direct heir of the son, Ariel Fide, and Anne, the virgin daughters, let's see, the virgin mother, let's see, direct heir of the son, Ariel Fide, and Anne, the virgin's mother would be the direct descendant of the hypothesized daughter, thus reuniting the bloodline in the mother of Jesus. Allen wrongly claims that Christ came through the family line of Judah, David, Josiah, Jeconiah, but this is Joseph, the carpenter's line, from which Jesus did not biologically descend. Furthermore, Jeconiah's offspring were cursed never to sit upon the throne of David. Jesus came through Josiah's line and not Jeconiah's line. These Lines diverge at the great King Josiah, and it is through Jeconiah's uncle Zedekiah that both Joseph of Arimathea and the Virgin Mary were descended. Eventually, according to Alan, all authority would be given to the son of the Judeo-David house. When he, Christ, comes as Shiloh, God will give it to him, for unto him shall the gathering of the people be. At that time the breaches will be healed, and he shall be called the restorer of the breach." The dispersions of the family of King Zedekiah and other dispersions nourished the nations of the world. The especially leavened Northern Ireland and the British Isles with the blood of Israel to a degree that the latter arrival of the seed of Jesus and Mary Magdalene found a fertile place to root. It is very probable that the Virgin Mary was related directly to this united full Judah dynasty. Following this reading, Reasoning, could the Virgin Mary have been a native British woman with Irish ancestry? And did her uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, take her to Jerusalem as a young girl and later returned her again to England, the land of her birth after the crucifixion? If true, when the Virgin Mary's bloodline was vastly more important to the birth of Christ than previously supposed. I contend that the son of David, Jesus Christ, was intended of, was indeed of these two preferred lineages of Judah. Then will a new Grail dynasty begin, and from Jesus Christ arise, centuries later, a son who shall be an Ephraim Judah Sion, preserving the Savior's seed through their distant descendant, Joseph Smith Jr. Like Christ, Joseph Smith was high by birth, but low in the sense of non-ruling and unesteemed by the world. Mormon Mariology a virgin most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. First uh, Nephi 11.15 The idea that the Virgin Mary was uniquely fitted to be the mortal mother of the Messiah has led to the idea that she was not tainted in the womb by the original sin of Adam. 
She was, according to the Catholic Church, born through the miraculous event of the Immaculate Conception and was the only perfectly pure and sinless woman. Elder Bruce R. McConkie has written emphatically against this position. The Immaculate Conception has reference to the birth of Mary and his false doctrine. This may be true of her conception, but Edward Toolidge and Eliza R. Snow leave the door open on the idea that the Virgin Mary lived a sinless life. God's nature in Christ needed no regeneration, nor did the woman's nature need regeneration, when thus found pure as in the Virgin Mary. The Catholic notion notion of an immaculate conception might be replaced by a more Mormon concept of chosen lineages. Mary was ascribed to the position of the mother of God on the earth, thus proving her bona fides as the legitimate mother of the only begotten. Upon the Virgin Mary was bestowed the favorite commission to give birth to the Messiah. This not only become because of her pre-mortal and mortal righteousness, but also because she held within herself the true grail lineage. Mary, <clears throat> being both of the scarlet thread and the house of David, is the preeminent importance. Otherwise, Jesus, uh, Jesus biologically could not claim descendant upon from the house of the Jesse David or of full Judah. If Matthew pursues, uh, pursues the lineage through Joseph the carpenter, this would be agreeable to Jewish law. Joseph's act of naming the child at the temple, which is a prerogative of the father, is also an act of adoption. There are few assertions in the gospel that Joseph was the foster father or legal guardian of Jesus, mostly that he was the father of Jesus Christ. Of course, Mormons know that Joseph actually adopted Jesus as his own for time only. For God, the father is the true father of the only begotten, allowed him to do so. There are at least two reasons to infer that Joseph the carpenter was not the father of Jesus. These stem from the cases of Solomon and Jeconiah. If the lineage was traced through David's son, King Solomon, there is a problem because Solomon's line was cursed through Uriah's wife. Matthew's genealogy pursued Joseph's line through Jeconiah, and as mentioned above, this line was also cursed by God, who vowed that no one would come from this line should sit upon the throne. This would be further proof that Joseph was not the biological father and that the Lord God Almighty was the father of the Christ child himself. Therefore, Jesus would not partake of the curse by being literally related to Keniah, Jeconiah, since he was legally adopted by Joseph. In a certain sense, Jesus did partake of the curse because during his mortality, Jesus, in fact, never did sit upon the throne of David. In the marriage of Mary and Joseph, both the legal and royal rights of the throne are united and its attendant blessings and cursings. The authentic tribe of Judah and royal house of David bloodline was something sorely missing in the Holy Land during this period. Baron Chaim states that according to some sources, this royal line was extinct some centuries before the birth of Jesus. In fact, the Hasmonean princes who occupied the throne of David were actually of the tribe of Levi. King Herod the Great was not a Jew at all, being an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. He married <clears throat> the beautiful Mariam, a granddaughter of the last Hasmonean ruler, Herancanus II, <clears throat> in an attempt to illegitimize his claim to the throne. It was difficult, if not impossible, to find a pure dis royal descendant of Judah in the Levant, or Holy Land. By Christ's time, it was a much decayed royal lineage, except in a certain spot of Galilee where there remained a small remnant. 
In this area was a rustic little village of disrepute called Nazareth, where it was asked if any good thing could come from such a terrible place. Why would the Savior come out of such an exposed and provincial location just north of Samaria? It is likely, although not mentioned by other scholars, that Nazareth and also Capernaum was in disrepute because both were located where the branch of the Zerahites, or the Scarlet Thread, lived in the northern edge of Palestine. Because the lineage of Zerah claimed the scepter of Judah and was exiled, it suggests that the Perez line of Judah demeaned Nazareth. The constant references to Christ being the son of David probably stems from the desire of local Jewish disciples to disassociate him from the other branch of Judah. The secret mystery about Jesus Christ was that he was the paladin of the whole house of Judah, not just one branch of the house of Judah. It could be said that the kingdom of God on earth is a family affair. Every significant player seems to be related to, to one another in some way. For example, according to many writers, Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder, was the Virgin Mary's sister. While this is a possibility, it has raised some intriguing discussions. When he learned of this conjecture, non-LDS writer Graham Phillips wrote, it was beginning to look as if the Virgin Mary might have been far more important in the scheme of things than I had thought, and it was something to do with her bloodline. The relevance of the tribal origin of Virgin Mary is now becoming recognized. The genealogy of Christ is found in the book of Matthew 1 verses 1 through 17 and Luke chapter 3 verses 23 through 38 illustrates the difficulty of ascertaining Mary's lineage. James E. Talmadge offered this opinion. Luke's record is regarded by many, however, as the pedigree of Mary, while Matthew is accepted that as that of Joseph. A personal genealogy of Joseph was essential, uh, essentially that of Mary also, for they were cousins. Joseph is named as the son of Jacob by Matthew and is the son of Hele by Luke, but Jacob and Hele were brothers, and it appears that one of the two was the father of Joseph and the other was the father of Mary, and therefore father-in-law to Joseph. Most LDS scholars side with Talmadge's view of Joseph and Mary's kinship. So if Christ is of the prophesied lineage only through adoption to Joseph, a legalistic non-natural condition, then Jesus' connection with the sceptered pedigree is attenuated at best. It is the claim to the throne of David comes through his adoption to Joseph the carpenter. Then he would have no claim at all since this was a cursed lineage. He would have adopted the cursing as well as blessings. However, if he were of the true line of David by birth through his mother's line, then his claim would have validity outside of any adoptive processes or judiciary means. But if God the Father's Y-chromosome bloodline DNA signature was the same as Judah's, then the seal is affixed. The more the blessings of Judah can be ascertained in Christ's ancestry, the more the promises of the sceptered line may be invoked. Scripturally, there is a justification that Mary is of the royal lineage of David, as Roman 1 verse 3 states. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, the archaic phrase, according to the flesh, may sensibly be translated as biologically. This boldly states that he was a literal, not just adopted son of David. Non-LDS scholar Pierre-Antoine Berenheim states, But at that time, at, yeah, at that time legal uh, paternity, which had priority over biological paternity, conferred all of the hereditary rights. 
Thus, Jesus had both biological and legal right to the throne of David, even though he never sat on it in mortality. Let us first look at the lineage chart of the Virgin Mary, for in her we have a blessed lineage protected by God's own hand. As is typical in the scriptures, there seems to be more to the story than the sacred text delineate. As broached in the discussion of the Scarlet Thread, the Virgin Mary was directly related to the unified All-Judah dynasty. And here is figure number one, the proposed Grail lineage. Uh, it's a chart that you'll want to look up. <laughs> With the healing of the fissure between Perez, the breach, and Zara, the seed, through marriage, great possibilities existed. At Terra Planda Plantation in Ireland, Argyll, Scotland, Wales, Devonshire, Somerset, Cornwall, in the West Country, colonies of pure Judah were planted. It was not in the Hellenist Holy Land, except perhaps the Nazareth area, but only in these isolated isles of the sea that a community of chosen race could be hidden. In this sacred marriage at Tarot was if this sacred marriage at Tetera was historical, it would have led to a singular lineage with a special purpose. The Virgin Mary, although a descendant of this line in theory, would have been disqualified to transfer the rights of her lineage to her son Jesus, except for a little-known exception to the rule. This explanation is possibly traceable to Justin Martyr, uh, circa 100 or 165 in the 2nd century, though Aeneas Viterbo circa 1490, popularized it during the Reformation. Usually, literal or lineal descendant passes through the man, but in the case of Judith and the heiress in Numbers and Chronicles, it could also pass maternally, matrilineally, if no male child existed and if Mary was an only child. Such exceptions allow for the existence of the genealogy of the Virgin Mary, in spite of the Talmudic injunctions against matrilineal genealogies. The Virgin Mary supposedly had no brothers, uh, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, and thus she was able to pass on the inheritance of the full house of Judah to Christ. Mary came to her most favored among women status by birthright, not happenstance. Brigham Young's statement that God had watched over and protected Joseph Smith's ancestry appeared equally relevant to both the Virgin Mary Mary Magdalene, and the Bethany sisters. The Lord had his eye upon him, Joseph Smith, and upon his father, and upon his father's father, and upon the progenitors clear back to Adam, or Abraham, sorry, and from Abraham to the flood, and from the flood to Enoch, and the Enoch to, Adra to Adam. <laughs> he, God, has watched that family and that blood as it has circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man. If this is so, its significance would be beyond the possibility of quibbling. Although this theory cannot be proven in the genealogy of Luke, nor by the historical record, it has legendary support and possesses a certain logical symmetry. If legend is sound, and with this new paradigmatic thinking, expansive vistas open before us, a path has been found to bring to pass the purposes of the Lord. Roman Catholics and Greek and Russian Orthodox churches pay special attention to the Virgin Mary. They have her being born of the solely legendary Joachim and St. Anne, or Anna, of Bethlehem, but perhaps more correctly, of Avalon in Britain. Spotless Anna, Judah's glory, as she was praised. St. Anne has long been barren, like other elderly women mentioned in scripture, Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth. 
The elderly Joachim was even barred from offering sacrifice because he had no offspring. They prayed for a child, which Anne vowed would be dedicated to the service of God in the temple. According to the Catholic legend, an angel appeared to Anne and announced that she would have a daughter. There is an amazing legend that answers the question about St. Anne's historical background. Celtic legend has it that Anne herself was born not in Bethlehem, but rather in Britain. And why not? For St. Jerome once said, Heaven is as near to us in Britain as it is in Palestine. Celtic scholar Nicholas R. Mann reports, The folk traditions of the southwest, Britain, support the tradition of Christ coming to Avalon. Some say he came to see the homeland of his mother's mother, St. Anne. This Cornish queen had immaculately conceived a child, Mary, and her husband had cast her out from her home. Joseph of Arimathea, on one of his trips to trade for British tin, took her, Mary, with him back to the Holy Land. While logical trajectory has already decreed that the Virgin Mary was born in Britain, this bit of information gives further confidence to the postulate that the Virgin Mary herself was not born in the Holy Land, but also uh, was also a native of the Isles of the Sea. According to inaccurate legend, Mary's parents took her to serve in the temple of Diana at Ephesus at the age of three. However, it was much more possible that Joseph of Arimathea, after her parents' deaths, took her to the Jerusalem temple. Jewish newborns and young orphans did serve in the temple. Then, eventually, after the crucifixion, he returned her to the land of her birth. If this is true, then the Virgin Mary's bloodline is even more important than a contributing factor to the birth of Christ than heretofore supposed. The genealogy, through only the House of David scenario, may now be overturned for the more restorative combination of the Scarlet Thread and the Davidic line combination. It was from this chosen branch of righteousness, the combined Zara and Perez line, hidden in the British Isles, that the Savior was born. Otherwise, his claim to the House of David would always have an asterisk beside it, placed there by his detractors on both sides of the family from, of Judah. Being from the united branch, through the pure genealogy of Mother Mary, Jesus was, uh, Jesus in turn was eligible to do the good thing promised Ephraim or, and Judah. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing, which I have promised unto the house of Israel and Ephraim, and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up out of David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. The grail lineage now begins to poignantly gather in the person of the Virgin Mary. Thus we see when and why the young Jesus went to England. Amazingly, everything dovetails together. Salient answers to new questions appear when this new paradigm is understood. All things lead to the good thing that Jesus will perform in Cana and beyond.